0: from KQED.
1: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, even as the state recorded more than 500,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 over the weekend, Governor Gavin Newsom said yesterday the situation is getting better and hospitalizations are showing a modest decline. We'll look at what the state faces now with California's top health official, Mark Galley. Then... Advocates for renters are warning that a wave of evictions could hit California as some emergency protections are set to expire. We look at what state lawmakers are proposing now to protect renters and landlords who've lost income during the pandemic. Forum is next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. At a noon press conference yesterday, Governor Newsom noted the seven-day average of new COVID-19 cases was down more than 20 percent from the week before, and coronavirus-related hospitalizations were also down 10 percent over the past two weeks. But Newsom also acknowledged the gains weren't good enough.
2: This disease is impacting our diverse communities, disproportionately impacting the Latino community, disproportionately impacting the community in the Central Valley.
1: We look at what California is facing. We're joined first by Dr. Mark Galley, Secretary for California's Health and Human Services Agency. Welcome to Forum.
3: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
1: And let me also tell our listeners that they can also join the conversation by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or by getting in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or emailing your questions to Forum at KQED Org. Dr. Galley, with regard to the improvements or the modest improvements that the governor was noting yesterday, what do you think is the biggest factor behind them?
3: Well, we've known all along, um, as we've been learning throughout this pandemic, um, what we can do to make a difference. And we've been talking for weeks about wear your mask, stay physically distanced, try to reduce the amount of mixing that you have as individuals within our communities, and then trying to move as much of your activity outside to reduce risk of transmission. And throughout this pandemic, we've been learning the value of those um, somewhat simple tasks at reducing transmission. And and so with weeks of that being plugged as the message, some some changes to our reopening plan at the end of June and early July by moving certain activities that were happening inside outside, we believe that that is uh, together, uh, those things come together to cause the results that we're seeing today, which are some stabilizations and even reductions in our hospital numbers, and our ICU numbers, and then we hope to see that translate, expect to see that translate in our um, death numbers in the days and weeks to come.
1: Because those still remain very high. The death numbers.
3: Y- yeah, sorry. Uh, the The death numbers we know are the most lagging indicator. Often, um, uh, you know, three, four, even five weeks after we see a rise in cases. So we expect that those numbers will remain high for a little bit longer and then will begin to come down just as we're seeing the hospital and ICU numbers come down a bit.
1: I know you've said several times that the data will decide your decisions, but what models are you looking at in terms of timing to resume some semblance of normal without another resurgence?
3: Well certainly we we use a variety of both what we call now casting and forecasting tools trying to understand what the tr- what the virus is doing in terms of transmission in communities now and then using some of the data points that the governor highlights on a on a regular basis that are on the California COVID website um, and use that to predict where we're gonna be with hospitalizations and ICU numbers uh, roughly a month out. So we're using all of those tools to look at some of this modeling. The modeling, again, I like to remind people, it doesn't predict the future. It tells you how your actions today will impact your future. So it's really about being action oriented. And so as we look out, Um, over uh, the next month, we want to see those hospital numbers coming way down from what might have been, you know, tens and thousands of uh, people in hospital beds to something much akin to where we were earlier uh, in the uh, sort of late spring, early summer, April and May, where we had um, many fewer people in our hospitals. The hospitals were able to comfortably provide high quality care to the Californians who needed it, and that we could really see the transmission throughout the community come down to a level where our contact tracing um, uh, services across the state can look at where transmission is happening and help people isolate and or quarantine um, effectively. So we don't see transmission sort of uh, increase in specific communities. And at that point, um, I think we will uh, begin to look at what it's going to take for California to move to that next phase. And only then do we see those conversations really happening in earnest.
1: Well, let me go to caller Melinda and El Cerrito who has a question. Hi, Melinda, join us.
2: Hi, I really appreciate that you're doing this today because I have. Uh had a a friend who got tested last Wednesday at Kaiser Permanente and still hasn't received results. So how in the world can we predict or fight this pandemic if we cannot have testing that um, only you get your results back in a couple of days as opposed to a week or more? Um, What are you doing to speed up testing? And what's the problem, especially what's the problem at Kaiser Permanente?
1: Melinda, thanks. I don't know if you're able to address specifically what's happening at Kaiser Permanente, Dr. Galley, but I can tell you that, I mean, what Melinda is expressing is something that we've heard a lot on the show, especially from listeners and our own colleagues are experiencing where they are waiting days, sometimes more than two weeks for test results. And that's sometimes after waiting days to even get the test appointment in the first place. What can you tell Melinda?
3: Yeah, Melinda, first thank you for your question. I think is exactly what's on the minds of many Californians who themselves are waiting, family members, people who are um, uh, expecting us as state, us as counties to, to, to really um, bring transmission rates down and testing is key. The governor has focused on it. We've increased our testing in this state uh, many, many fold over the past few months. But as the governor says, it, it isn't enough. Um, what we've experienced over the past few weeks is as the nation has surged in its cases in big states like Florida and Texas and others who ramped up their own testing, some of our major national laboratories, those um, uh, companies that create the test supplies experience some shortages and backlogs and that has increased the turnaround time as we call it for tests. Um, by quite a bit. In fact, though, in the past 10 days, we've seen that number come down from peaks on average of seven to eight days to now that's something closer to five days and we anticipate in the next week that that turnaround time is gonna come down to under three days. We have a goal in the state to really try to get within 24 to 48 hours because that's when the information is actionable, not just at the individual level to be able to know whether you're positive or negative, what the implications would be for your family members, other people that you might work with, and spend time with, but then of course at the public health level to make sure that we reduce the transmission. So we are working with all of the labs in California to increase the availability of supplies that they have. We're trying to make sure that labs collected in one place uh, or specimens collected in one place go to a lab that has capacity to run it very quickly. And then we're exploring other ways that California can increase our own ability to get testing done without necessary dependence on some of the national partners that, of course, are there to take care of all states, not just California. Right, so we national
1: have... partners like Quest and
3: LabCorp. Absolutely.
1: And so you're saying that within weeks we'll see this go down to three days in terms of turnaround. Melinda brought up Kaiser Permanente. Are hospitals and hospital systems like Kaiser stepping up to do testing to help the state?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, testing has been an all hands on deck effort at every level. The hospitals have been real leaders, but they're vulnerable to the same supply chain challenges Mm -hmm. and um, surge in in demand for testing. So uh, a lot of our focused effort now are making sure that The people whose test can really make an important immediate difference in their diagnosis and their treatment get that first. And hospitals are a major part of that because that's where uh, the sickest patients end up in the emergency rooms and inpatient beds and ICU beds on a regular basis.
1: And Dr. Galley, what are the standards for testing and tracing prior to, say, opening parts of the state. I mean, we've seen that uh, study out of Harvard, of course, that says that the state needs to be able to administer 500,000 tests a day to be really effective in terms of starting to contain the virus with, of course, tens of thousands of contact tracers. I mean, are there standards that the, the state is now you know, committed to meeting before it does further reopening?
3: yeah I, we we uh early on in our process, we set a target of having between one point five and two tests for every thousand individuals in a county and um, many counties are are uh, actually testing even more than that and others we're working with to get their test numbers up to that level. We think that's very important. And our phase one goal of having 10,000 individuals as part of our contact tracing disease investigation workforce across the state is um, we, we've we met that they are available. And now we're working on increasing that number towards a phase two goal so that we can have each county with a robust number of individuals to. Do that work. That said, this will all depend on us 40 million Californians strong helping get down transmission so that we can um, actually have the workforce and the testing capacity to meet that, le- that lower level of transmission so we don't see swells and surges as we've seen over the past many weeks.
1: This listener writes, I'm curious as a mom about what Dr. Galley thinks is safe in terms of peer to peer interaction. Our kids need to play and interact with other kids. Is it OK in his mind to do a masked play date outside?
3: Yeah, we we do absolutely recommend that you reduce your mixing as much as possible. I know as a father of four, as a pediatrician, as somebody who's watching movement in my own community, that having kids spend time is, as separate as they can be from one another with a face covering, with a mask, um, outdoors uh, is certainly lower risk than other activities that happen, let's say indoors or without face covering. I know it's hard to get kids to keep the face covering on and that's why we as adults uh, are there to help remind them and support them to do it. But this is all uh, all a balance between making sure we protect ourselves with COVID and the transmission but also um, making sure that we take care of each other's social and emotional well-being and I know that's important for kids to, to see friends. you see these drive by drive by birthday parties and a number of activities that we think are meaningful ways for kids to interact and at least see some of the friends that I know they dearly miss.
1: Dr. Galley, last week, a Fresno County teen became the first minor to die from the virus in California, and I understand that you're targeting resources to the Central Valley, uh, based on lessons learned about what was effective in Imperial County. Can you talk a little bit about your concerns about the Central Valley, but also what the state has learned about better anticipating these kinds of needs, better targeting resources?
3: Yeah, thank you. Um, We did learn a great deal in Imperial, and I just want to thank Imperial County and all of their citizens and their leaders for the partnership on bringing additional testing capacity, increasing the support within the hospitals, improving and deepening the messages that we're we're talking when we talk about masks and physical distancing and, and, and the like, and doing it in in um languages, you know, in Spanish in communities that are um largely Latino. And we're taking those same lessons to the Central Valley. I mean, as I speak, we have a team in Stanislaus. We've just uh, left Fresno. Have been spending time with our colleagues in Kern, really trying to understand what some of the gaps in messaging, and testing, and contact tracing, and supporting employers, getting into the the essential workplaces that we've been talking about, making sure we're connecting with the trusted messengers in community, and then of course working with all of the hospitals to make sure that they have the capacity and staff to take care of patients so doing all of those things collectively we believe have a very strong prevention aspect reducing transmission so we see those case numbers come down and then ensuring that the systems in place to take care of people when they're sick are strong and robust enough to do a high quality job and so those two things coming together we believe are gonna help us support the Central Valley, eight counties, 45 hospitals, um, over 4 million people so that we can get through this sort of intense phase of transmission and really support that community to not only get through this period, but really in the future to have the tools to um, really protect and and prevent surges uh, down the road.
1: And Dr. Galley, I know you need to leave us. I just want to read this one comment from Patricia before you go. Patricia writes, I appreciate all you are doing, but could you please get the governor to keep his message simple? The nuanced messages about not needing a mask when exercising and so on. That's one thing that the state has noted, right, that the messaging really does need to improve.
3: Yes, uh, we, are, we are actively and, and consistently working with a number of our colleagues. on making sure that message sticks. It's an important one, and I appreciate the need for it to be simple because we, 40 million Californians, did it once. We know what it's going to take to continue doing it again, and I expect and believe that we will.
1: Dr. Mark Galley, Secretary of California's Health and Human Services Agency, thank you so much for giving us your time this morning.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: We're joined now by Somya Mongla. She's a staff writer covering healthcare for the Los Angeles Times. Somya Mongla, thanks for joining us.
0: Of course, thanks for having me. A quick reaction from
1: you about what you heard from Dr. Galley.
0: <laughs> there was a lot there. Um, I think that the, the message, just to take on the last point, the messaging issue is really important. I think it's something that's confused just about everyone I talk to about how, what is safe to do, when we should be wearing masks. It feels like, kind of the most important thing is to get sort of clear, uniform communication from from our leaders, and that would maybe help a lot.
1: Yes. uh, In critiquing his own performance, the governor would say that he felt like the state really didn't do the best job in terms of educating the public and keeping the messages about behavior changes and so on as simple and as easy to understand. Uh, We have a question from listener Victoria in San Rafael. Hi, Victoria. Join us. Yes, Hello. Hi, what's on your mind, Victoria?
2: Yes, um, I'd like to speak about the uh, unknown uh, conversation that uh, COVID-19 was uh, in the world in uh, November, December of last year. Um, because I'm an Uber driver and I got infected in November and I almost died of it. I was in bed for three weeks with all the severe symptoms. Um And also now that it's been eight months, each month I get uh, post uh, symptoms, uh, circulation, uh, uh, very bad, digestive, extremely bad in the last two months, Um, lung capacity is getting worse, Uh, brain cognitive uh, factors is is being impaired slowly each month. I see that going on. I'm not myself. And I don't know if I'll ever be myself before I got infected. And I know, again, dozens of people that I know from New York and across the the, the country in October, November had the the COVID, but they didn't name it. They were in the hospital and the hospital didn't know what was going on with them. And they didn't know what was going on with me at that time.
1: Well, Victoria, I'm, I'm glad you survived COVID, and I'm so sorry for the long-term impacts. It sounds like it's having. Carla Karlamangla, I know that Ed Young had done a story, the Atlantic science writer, about so-called long haulers and the disease, how it endures in people for months and months, but that for many of them, it, it's not to a level where they would necessarily go to the hospital. Do you have Have you done much reporting or have any insights for Victoria about these long-term symptoms and how they're being handled?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really scary. Honestly, we just don't know exactly what the virus can do because it's so new. And yeah, you're definitely right. I've heard tons of reports like that of people with just permanent problems that aren't, you know, they're not um, kind of strange things like their sense of taste is permanently altered. Uh, And it's, I feel like we won't really understand what's going on until we can start collecting data from some of these long haulers, as you called them.
1: And uh, thanks for, for sharing that, Victoria. Let me go next to Jeff in San Carlos. Hi, Jeff.
3: Thank you for taking my call. My question is about sample testing. You can take a sample of a population or any subgroup of the population that's less than 3,500 people, which means it wouldn't, it's not that difficult to take. And you can get a picture of how well we're really doing. And in particular, you can, take, you can test both for the, um, uh, the virus, You can also test for antibodies. We have no sense of how many people have already had this thing and are no longer potentially may not be subject to it again. So if we can't do large scale testing, then why not sample testing?
1: Jeff, thanks. Soumya Karlamangla, I mean testing. Your thoughts on Jeff's question, but also just generally about the state's apparatus around testing and whether or not you thought that there was there was some real substance behind what Dr. Galley was saying about those numbers finally coming down in terms of results, wait times, effectiveness.
0: Yeah, I mean, the numbers do seem to be coming down, but and this has happened in L.A. too. The numbers come down, and then they go right back up as soon as there's some new shortage or new change in testing system. The sample testing, I mean, there has been antibody test, sample testing it feels like what's happening now is testing is so it's kind of scarce in some ways still, even you know six months in that we're focusing our testing resources on people who are acutely ill uh, and because that's sort of the most dire situation. And I don't know if there's anywhere in the state where they're doing sample just PCR testing to see how many people in the community are, are sick. It just feels like we're, we've made a decision to use our resources in a way that feels most immediate
1: and I know you did some recent reporting on just how colleges and universities are trying to address testing. And I mean, what did, what do you think the prospects are for institutions, schools to be able to do what is needed to be able to keep their campuses as safe as possible?
0: It's just really tough because of the scale. I mean, we just it the, the story we did was about uh, L.A. Unified and. The number of the amount of testing they would need if they tested every single person—I can't remember what the the number was—but it was tens of thousands, and that's just it was you know more tests than are probably being conducted in LA County every day. So using widespread testing as a means to keep the virus under control is kind of far-fetched. I mean, something like sample testing, and it's really the prevention strategies, the masking, all of that—that'll really help us prevent people from getting sick in the first place.
1: Well, Tony, Wright, stop the half measure, shut down the USA for six to eight weeks. Do it now before the flu season hits. An N95 mask should be available at cost to everyone, including the public. You know, we just have 20 seconds, but your assessment as um, somebody who's really been following the state's response, do you think that their strategies right now are going to be effective or do we need another shutdown?
0: I think the closures that Newsom instated of the bars and the indoor dining have made a, a huge impact uh, and so that it seems like if we can limit indoor uh, spread, then we can really get a handle on it. And I, I don't really see California going into another lockdown, especially not a lockdown that's more restrictive than the one we already had.
1: So Mia Mongla staff writer covering healthcare for the Los Angeles Times. Thanks for joining us. Of course. And thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. Next, we look at eviction. Stay with us for that. I'm Mina Kim.